Increase my honor and comfort me again. Psalm 71, 21 God, I thank you for your love for me today. I thank you for your hand leading me. I thank you for your Holy Spirit guiding me as I reach for higher and greater things in your name, Jesus. Everything I do today is to glorify you. Let every person who sees me be inspired themselves to reach for more of what you have for them, more of what you have called them to, for your glory. I command anything within me that wants to play it safe or desires things to be easy to leave my heart, my mind, my life right now. I don't want anything less than your best for me. Faith is the word that will direct and define my day. Because I am reaching for the increase that you've promised me. God, I praise you for building me up on the inside so that nothing I face on the outside can tear me down. Continue to strengthen me today. Bring breakthroughs in every area of my life, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Bring breakthroughs in my work, in my relationships, and in my family. Where I am weary or discouraged, where I've been hurt or wounded, I ask you to comfort me. Heal me inside and out. Surround me once again with your unfailing love. Draw close to me as I draw close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at America's Christian CU dot com forward slash pray. Plus the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, and I'm excited for you to join me on Heroes in the Bible. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify so you get the newest episodes right as they come out. Welcome to the Epic Adventure of David. A story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. In this episode, father and son are pitted against each other. Absalom's hostile takeover of Israel cannot be complete until David is dead. Absalom has more resources and mercenaries at his disposal, but David has his mighty men. This episode is about many things. But more than anything, it is a tribute to the warriors who have stuck by his side for so long. The Bible has given us many insight into these warriors, and we have done our best to give them the honor they deserve. This episode focuses on them, especially since David is unable to go into battle himself. David has many allies on his side, and that is ultimately what will turn the tide of the battle. Absalom, as intelligent as he is, will find himself sorely lacking in wisdom. 
Before the story continues, we will listen to a prelude. We are once again brought into a moment during Jesus' life. Judas, one of Christ's closest friends, gives him up for 30 pieces of silver, a cheap price for the God of all creation. The guilt from his act drives Judas mad, and he meets an undignified demise. His death is a foreshadowing of another death in this episode. Who it is, you might have already guessed, but David may have other plans. Join us for episode 27, Hanging on a Tree. Prelude to Chapter 27 Standing at a distance was Judas. He looked down at his 30 pieces of silver. They didn't feel right in his hands. They trembled, and he put the pouch back in his cloak. A tinge of regret sparked in Judas as he watched Jesus tumble down the temple steps. He watched them bind Jesus, strike him, and throw him around like a dog. His stomach churned as he listened to the painful grunts of his master. Memories of Jesus healing the sick and restoring sight to the blind flooded Judas's mind. It was unbearable to think of Jesus being put to death because of him. He banged on his head and began to cry in anxious dread. He yelled and ran towards the temple courtroom. He burst through the doors and threw the money bag back at Caiaphas. Please! He yelled. Take your money. Take it. I do not want Jesus to suffer. Caiaphas chuckled. What am I to do with this? He asked. What's done is done. Judas frantically shook his head. Nervous tears filled his eyes. No, 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 no! He yelled. I did not know he would be put to death. I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. Judas fell to his knees, begging Caiaphas to reconsider. The high priest scoffed. Get up. You're an embarrassment. Take your money and be in peace. A worker is worth his wages. With that, Judas was escorted out of the temple walls. Judas was thrown onto the floor. He lay there for a long while. His eyes were blanketed with regret. He rose to his feet. Sweat, tears, and blood dripped down his cheeks. Judas hobbled his way towards an olive tree. He looked up. The clouds above were thrashing, ready to burst. Judas shook his head. His eyes were glazed over as he threw a nearby rope up onto the tree. He climbed it, tied a noose around his neck, and jumped off the branch. The rope tightened, and Judas's body flailed for a long moment. The sound of tightening rope and rustling leaves cut through the silence of the early morning. Then, as the sun rose, Judas breathed his last breath. Chapter 27 Hanging on a Tree Chariots of bronze burst through the palace gates, trampling the well-tended garden underfoot. The chanting of Absalom's name grew louder and louder as he dismounted his horse. He turned to the people who had followed behind him and waved. King Absalom, he whispered to himself. He shook his head and laughed. What a great king I will be. He walked into the palace with Ahithophel close behind him. Gather any of the remaining advisors of the king, he ordered. I would like to begin my reign as soon as possible. Ahithophel gathered the men who were close to David, but refrained from following him into the wilderness. Among them was Hashai, fresh from the Mount of Olives, where he was commissioned by David to sow discord. Hashai entered into the throne room of the king, 
ready to do the dirty work of politics. He never thought he had a knack for lying and deception. It was one of the qualities that made David trust him so much. However, in this moment, deception was required. He would do his best to undermine Absalom and Ahithophel in their attempt to overthrow the kingdom. David's reign in Israel hung in the balance. Hashai entered and raised his arms to Absalom. Long live the king! Long live the king! Long live the king! He shouted and clapped. Absalom cocked his head to the side and peered at Hashai. Hashai, is this the type of loyalty you give your friend, David? I know how close you two were. Why did you not retreat with him into the wilderness? Hashai paused for a moment, remembering that he was not very good at lying. He smiled and opened his palms. Good, Absalom. My loyalty is to the king that the Lord and people choose. It is clear to me they have chosen you. So here I am, at your service, just as I was for your father. Hashai's lies seemed to satisfy Absalom. He was too prideful to inquire further. Very well, then, he said. We shall now discuss how to establish me as king over the people. Perhaps a show of force? What will make the people know I am king? He gestured to Ahithophel. What say you, counselor? Ahithophel bowed his head and furrowed his brow. You must make your dominance over your father known to all the people, he said. Showcase your power by going into your father's concubines, ravage them, and make it known to all the people that David is a stench and you alone own the city. Absalom, being the egotistical psychopath that he was, loved the idea. They pitched a tent on the roof of the palace, and one by one, Absalom went into all ten of his father's concubines. The entire nation of Israel heard about what he was doing, and immediately began to question the validity of what was happening. Only minutes into being king, Absalom made his first mistake, and Hushai planned how he might continue those mistakes. Meanwhile, deep in the forest resting on the Mount of Olives, David rose from his place of prayer. He had sang a hymn of desperation and trust in God. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he would be taken care of. All he had to do was remain righteous and willing to act when called upon. The king led his people down the other side of the mountain. As they were leaving the summit, he heard a rustling in the bushes. Shammah, Abishai, and David all unsheathed their swords and prepared for a fight. From the bushes, a stone came flying out and hit Abishai directly in the stomach. He keeled back and gasped. A man came out shouting at them. It was Shimei, a member of Saul's family. Get out of here, you man of blood. You are worthless. You never measured up to King Saul. The Lord is punishing you for the blood of Saul. This is what you deserve, you man of blood. Shame on you. Abishai rose to his feet and grabbed his sword. You shall not speak to my king like that. He shouted, and he darted towards Shimei. However, David ran after him and held him back. Abishai turned around. What are you doing? Let me go over there and take off his head. Why should this dead dog curse you like this? Let it go, Abishai. David sighed. He is not worth the trouble. Besides... Perhaps his words are from the Lord. What are you talking about, David? Of course they aren't. Abishai exclaimed. He is a bitter old fool and should be punished. As Abishai was saying this, Shimei continued to throw stones and mud at them. David covered his head from the stones and said, My own son wants me dead. 
What could this man possibly say to make me feel worse than I do now? Leave him alone. If his words are from God, then I deserve them. If he is sinning, then God will punish him. Either way, God would not be happy if I lash out at him. Why would I return evil for evil? David began to walk away, but Shimei was persisting. He threw stones, mud, and sticks at David. His men did their best to shield him, but were unable to block the pile of cow dung he threw at David's head. It hit him in the side of the face, and David stumbled to his knees. It was truly a low point for the king. He was mocked, cursed, and had dung on his face. The king stood to his feet in dignity and pressed on. They camped beside the Jordan River and refreshed themselves. David sang songs of hope to encourage the people. Absalom tapped his fingers on the throne and stared deeply into the fire. His gaze was intense, and he was lost in deep thought. Absalom was a patient man, consumed with every detail of his coup. The final obstacle of his reign as king was David himself. He needed him dead. Ahithophel and Hashai were both standing at attention behind the throne. Hashai noticed Ahithophel's eyes. They were intensely fixed on Absalom like a dog waiting for a bone. There was something strange about Ahithophel. He was not well, and clearly obsessed with pleasing the new king. Hashai knew there was room to cause chaos among the two of them. He just needed to use his words very carefully. Ahithophel, Absalom said. The counselor was quick to move in front of the throne and bow his head. What are your thoughts about what we should do next? Shall we hunt for David, or send assassins? A showing of strength is best, my lord, Ahithophel said. Let me choose twelve thousand men to pursue David. He has less than a thousand with him, and less of them are warriors. We will overwhelm them with few casualties and focus on killing David alone. Once he is slain, then the people are bound to follow us. Ahithophel knelt down to the king and said, Allow me to bring the people back to you, like a bride comes to her husband. Absalom seemed to like his idea. A showing of strength would establish him over David. It would be satisfying to march against him with 12,000 men behind him. He wanted to prove to his father that he could lead such an army. Absalom turned to Hushai and beckoned him forward. What say you, Hushai? Do you agree with Ahithophel? Shall we march up against David? Hushai looked at Ahithophel and then back at Absalom. Ahithophel is a wise man, but I believe this time he is wrong. Blatantly and clearly wrong. Ahithophel's upper lip twitched into a brief snarl. Do you not find the king strong enough to defeat David with 12,000 men behind him? Ahithophel scoffed. Hashai shook his head. It's not that, my king. I swear. However, you should know very well your father is surrounded by his mighty men. 600 of them have toppled over 40,000 easily. They are strong. Good tacticians, experience, and now you have provoked them like a mother bear robbed of her cubs. It does not seem to me a wise decision to simply march against them and expect to win. What if we surprise them? Ahithophel said. They will need to rest. What if we attacked them in the middle of the night? Hashai shook his head again. You clearly have not met King David. Do you really think he would sleep among the people? No. He will camp elsewhere to protect the people from harm. All you will accomplish is attacking innocent people and being called a murderer of fellow Israelites. 
Absalom was annoyed, but knew Hushai was correct. Hushai could sense the tension between him, Absalom, and Ahithophel. He breathed in deeply and thought for a moment. Perhaps, he began, we should meet them at a neutral battlefield, one in which we can get a clear vantage point of David. We increase our efforts if we can target David specifically. Hushai could tell that his answers were not satisfying Absalom, so he appealed to his ego, saying, I have no doubt that you will be able to rally the men of Israel behind you. March up against David and face him yourself. If for some reason he gets past you and into the city, all Israel will bring ropes, and we shall drag him into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. That final word stirred Absalom, and he was pleased with Hushai. Very well, Absalom said. We shall march. We will gather men and meet David and his band of old dogs, and the entire world shall know that I am the great king of Israel. So Absalom rose from his throne to go and prepare, leaving Hushai and Ahithophel alone. The two of them stood there, staring at one another for a long time. Ahithophel knew Hushai was up to something, but could not prove it. Hushai could see the unbalanced psyche of Ahithophel begin to teeter away. He was shaking and nervous. Finally, Hushai spoke, saying, It is time to prepare the men, Ahithophel. You should be following the king. Ahithophel said nothing. He left, and Hushai rushed to go send word to David. He went to Abiathar and Zadok, telling them all that was happening. You must warn David not to rest in the warpath of Absalom. If he is anywhere near the Jordan River, he must escape now if his people want to live. Jonathan and Ahimeaz left to send the message to David on behalf of their fathers. They ran into the night like cats, scurrying through the streets without making a noise. However, there were some who were aware of their mission. A young man had seen them leaving the city and sent word to Absalom's guards. They left on horseback in pursuit of the young priests. Jonathan and Ahimeaz ran for their lives, cutting corners and hopping over barrels of wine and grain. The chase was frantic, and the two men felt like they were moments away from being captured. They turned the corner to their rendezvous point with another woman messenger. She was standing by the well, waiting for them. Instead of greeting her, the two young men leapt forward and jumped into the well. When the woman saw the guards riding, she quickly lifted the large tarp covering and draped it over the mouth of the well. The guards slid to a stop and yelled, Where did they go? Where are Jonathan and Ahimeas? The woman didn't flinch. She pointed south and said, They jumped into the brook and followed it downstream. I think they were heading outside of the city, she said. The guards wasted no time. They followed the brook down for miles, searching desperately for the young men. When they found nothing, they rode back into the city and searched for them there. The woman uncovered the well. The two young priests burst out of the water and gasped for air. You must leave now, the woman said. They may be back. So the two men ran into the night, sopping wet and filled with purpose. The silvery moon hung over David's camp like a watchman. Its silvery light shone down on them, bouncing off the water of the Jordan River. David washed his face in the cool water, wiping off the last of the dung. He sighed and looked up at the moon. It seemed closer than usual, as if the eye of God was bending down closer to keep a close watch. David shook his head and chuckled. He wished Jonathan was here. He longed to hear his wisdom on what he should do next. He could not run forever. 
Eventually, he knew they would have to fight. As the thought of fighting crossed his mind, he wondered where Joab was. Perhaps he too has abandoned me, David thought to himself. I am no longer a man worth following. The king had a sinking feeling that he was being punished for his sins. Nathan had prophesied that bloodshed would never leave his house. This seemed like a reasonable fulfillment of that prophecy. He looked back at the camp. Most of the people had retreated into their tents for the night. He still could not believe all his mighty men and hundreds of his servants had followed him into the wilderness. He did not find himself worthy of their loyalty, but he would do his very best to protect them. They were his sheep, and he was their shepherd. David caught a glimpse of his son Solomon being carried into the tent with his mother. He jogged over to them and gave his son a kiss on the forehead. He tucked both of them in and sang a hymn as they drifted to sleep. He stroked Solomon's hair and wondered what would become of him. You are special, little one, David whispered. I wonder what would become of you. The king left the tent and sat down beside the fire. Abishai, Shammah, Eleazar, and Atai were already gathered around. The five of them spoke for a long while about the next steps. They bickered, laughed, and cried. It was just like old times in the wilderness. God was still their leader, and they trusted the Lord for his intervention. As the night was growing cold and the men were ready to retreat into their tents, a stirring was caused among the camp. The two young priests had finally arrived with word from Hashai. Absalom is marching! They shouted. You must arise and go quickly over the water, for Absalom and the others will be here within the next few days. Where do they expect us to battle? David asked. Gilead. David, they are sending many men to fight against you. Absalom will not relent until he has you in his grasp. David nodded and dismissed the men to return home. He slept that night, and first thing in the morning, he gathered all the people to cross the Jordan. Once again, David found himself wading through the river, unsure about the next steps. Ahithophel watched Absalom leave with his army to Gilead. Instead of appointing him as commander or Joab as commander, he appointed Amasa, a boy and a brute. Ahithophel had finally come to a breaking point. He had stewed in anger against David for so long that he was too quick to jump to Absalom's side. Now, he was a man without a king. He betrayed David, and Absalom preferred the counsel of Hashai over him. His hands trembled and his cheeks were red with rage. He took a deep breath, closed his eyes, and left to return home. He set his house in order, tied a noose to the top of his home, and hung himself. His body hung there lifeless as a symbol of the sad and sorry state of Israel, a nation without a king. A storm was approaching. The wind howled from the east, and David wrapped his cloak around him tightly as he and his men marched forward. Absalom had crossed the Jordan River and camped at the forest of Ephraim beside a large valley. David, Ittai, and Abishai climbed a small hill to get a better view of the battlefield. It was rough and wide ground. If they were to fight there, it would not be easy. Absalom's men outnumbered David's five to one. An open field would give the advantage to the army with more men. We can take the fight straight to the forest, David said. If we take today to march around the valley, we can meet them on the other side of the forest of Ephraim. It would certainly narrow the battle to a more manageable size, 
Itai agreed. However, I would still feel more comfortable if we had more men. Then more men you shall get. A voice called out from behind them. David and Abishai looked over, and behind them was Joab, leading hundreds of soldiers. He opened his arms up and smiled. You did not think I joined the ranks of Absalom, did you? He burnt my fields! David laughed and embraced his friend. The four of them discussed the situation, and all arrived at the same conclusion. They had the best chance attacking in the forest. David gathered the men together and began to map out the battle. Abishai, you will take a third of the men and attack first. Itai will take a third of the attack from the flank. Joab, you will take the last third and ambush them once the battle has been initiated. I will march with Abishai at the front. I desire to face Absalom myself and bring him back with me. Any questions? The three others looked at each other with concerned looks on their faces. What is wrong? David asked. Joab answered and said, My king, this is a battle you should not march into. What? No! I must go with you. It is my duty as king, and I will not abandon you like I did in Ammon. This is different. Itai protested. If you are there, they will not relent until you are captured. However, if you are absent, it gives us the option to retreat. They do not care about us. They only care about you. Joab placed a hand on David's shoulder. I would not want to fight against my own son. If the moment came when I had to slay him for the good of the nation, I am not sure I would have the strength. So I will spare you from that decision. You should defend the city nearby with a group of mighty men. If we need to retreat, we will flee into the nearby city, and you can help us escape. David paused for a long while. He sighed and looked out over the horizon again. His son was camped near the forest, probably strategizing with his own men on how to slay him. It hurt him deeply that he had to march against his own son. He understood the point his men made and did not argue. He lifted his hand in surrender and said, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king took reinforcements to the border of Gilead near the gate. He ordered and placed Joab, Abishai, and Ittai in the proper formations and sent them off. However, before they left, David stopped them and said, Please, deal gently with Absalom for my sake. Bring him home alive, if possible. They nodded and departed for the forest. The storm above continued to pick up speed, and the blustering wind howled through the woods like a pack of ravenous wolves. The clouds blocked out the sun, and the woods remained in darkness. Scouts from the camp of Israel sent word to Absalom that David's men were marching from behind them, so he rallied his men to absorb the attack. They pressed forward into the forest, listening for David's men. Absalom had marched with Joab before when doing raids of smaller nations. However, he was not aware of the full strength of David's mighty men. Legends of their power were more of a fantasy to him than reality. He was gravely mistaken. The first attack was from Abishai. Behind him were Eleazar, Shammah, and Joshabim. They attacked with the same speed as the wind above them. Absalom furrowed his brow and lifted his sword. Attack! He commanded. The combined remnants of Israel's army, with Absalom's mercenaries, ran forward and clashed with Abishai. Shammah ran ahead with his sword. He dodged the initial attacks slashing men at the ankles as he went. His sword was an extension of his own body. With it, 
He once killed an entire army of Philistines on his own while protecting a lentil field. Joshua Beam was not far behind. He ran gracefully with a spear in his hand. Every man who came up against him was met with the tip of the spear lodged into their throat or chest. His speed was unmatched, and the grace with which he wielded his weapon was unparalleled. It is what earned him the place of captain, and how he once killed 800 men all by himself. Eleazar held back, holding his ground until more enemies stepped forward. Dozens launched themselves at him, only to perish immediately. Eleazar's sturdiness and strength earned him the trust of King David. He once fought with David for so long that his sword stuck to his hand. Absalom panicked as he watched David's mighty men fight. They were more ferocious than lions and quicker than hawks. He was beginning to feel the full weight of just how strong they were. He turned back to retreat back into the forest, but Ittai was already attacking at the flank. They gave Absalom no choice but to fight. If he wanted the throne, he would have to spill blood on the battlefield just as David did. So Absalom rode forward on his horse, slashing through opponents and leaning on his training. Joab was not far behind with his men. When he finally entered, that was Absalom's signal to flee. He whipped his horse and rode as fast as he could. The tree covering became shorter and shorter as the horse rode under the thick branches. Absalom slashed through the branches with his sword, frantically trying to escape. He could hear the clamoring of soldiers in pursuit behind him. He yelled in fear and whipped his horse even more to pick up speed. The great oaks covered the skies, and the branches intertwined with one another above him. The covering became lower and lower, until finally, Absalom rode fast into two branches, getting his head caught between them. The force crushed his throat, and the horse continued to ride forward, leaving the prince hanging by his neck in the air. He gasped and struggled to free himself, but his neck was lodged deep into the oak. One of the soldiers saw Absalom struggling to get free and ran to tell Joab. Quick! Joab! Absalom is hanging from a tree! Joab took the man by the collar and yelled. You saw him hanging there and you did not strike him down to the ground? I would have given you ten pieces of silver if you killed him. The soldier panicked and said, But, but King David said not to harm him. Even if you offered me a thousand pieces of silver, I would not dare kill the king's son. Joab scoffed and grabbed three spears and marched into the forest. The wind bellowed through the forest, nearly knocking the young soldier off his feet. However, Joab marched forward unhindered. Hanging in the oak covering above was Absalom. He was gasping for air and trying to break himself free. Joab stood below him and called out to him. Your Majesty. Absalom looked below, unable to say anything. Joab took his first spear and gripped it. He swung it around a few times, then threw it upwards going through Absalom's shoulder. The tip of the spear went straight through him, breaking off the branch that held him. He fell to the ground hard. Absalom took a deep breath, finally able to breathe, but in pain from the spear in his shoulder. He stood and tried to run, but Joab threw the other spear. It was a direct hit through his back and out through the left side of his stomach. Absalom cried out in intense pain, shaking on the floor. Joab rolled his neck back and drew a deep breath. You want to know something, he said to the screaming man on the ground. After all this, your father still wanted me to spare you. Absalom held out his arm and crawled backwards away from Joab. Please, he coughed. 
mercy. You received your mercy, Absalom. Your father gave it twice. I will not let him give it a third time. Joab took his third spear and drove it through Absalom's stomach. He looked at the life slowly fading away from Absalom's eyes. He let go of his spear and allowed the other men to take turns stabbing him. The tyrant prince was dead, and along with him the coup. Joab had finished him off, despite David's orders to spare him. A rebellion was ended by another act of rebellion. The irony did not escape Joab. He took Absalom's body and threw him into a great pit in the forest. A heap of stones were thrown over his body as a memorial to him. Joab looked at the entire army of Israel that had fought with Absalom. The men he once led stood before him in shame. Back to your homes, he shouted. Every man left to return to Jerusalem. Joab stood over the pile of stones. The clouds above were thrashing, ready to burst. A rain was coming soon. Joab spat at the stones. Long live the king, he said. He and his men returned to the king, ready to restore peace back to God's people. King Absalom's reign was quick. His rise was dramatic and fierce, and his fall was disgraceful and gory. If we were to just look at Saul and Absalom's lives, it would send a clear message that kings are doomed to fall. When you read First and Second Kings, you get a similar message. Many of the kings after David rose quickly, forgot their purpose, and fell dramatically. Just a few episodes ago, we thought David might share the same fate, but he didn't. What sets David apart from these other kings? What set David apart from the kings of the ancient world who conquered and then were conquered? We can go back to the beginning for that answer. In episode 3, Samuel tells Saul about his chosen king. The Lord has sought out another to replace you. He has sought out a man who is after his own heart. He has sought out a man who cares more about pleasing the heart of God than looking for the approval of man. This king shall be prince over the Lord's people. He shall steward God's people well, and it will be his kingdom that continues into eternity. Even in his failures, wanderings, and missteps, David comes back to the Lord every time. He seeks after his heart. The favor and faithfulness of God is his safety net. He is a refuge and strength for him. No matter how far David falls, God lifts him back up. God's relationship to David is a symbol of his relationship with Israel. Time after time, Israel fails. But when they cry out to him, he is faithful to respond. He keeps his promises to them. God is faithful even when David isn't. Absalom naturally is doing everything without God. The pride of the throne that corrupted Saul's heart made quick work of Absalom. Not even minutes into being king does he have a horrendous failure. He ravages his father's harem, subjugates the people, and marches to go fight the mighty men. Absalom, a man of wit, lost all of his sensibilities when he became king. Pride tends to cancel out whatever our gifts are. Absalom was a smart man, but there was no room for sober thinking when pride occupied his mind. Think about some of the gifts you have. Think about how much more useful they would be without any pride or arrogance. Hubris stains our ambitions, but humility makes them clean. David proved once again to be a humble man. An angry man came out of the forest and threw stones and dung at him, but David remained calm. 
David and Absalom are contrasted in this episode. While Absalom demanded respect, David allowed dung to be thrown at him. David needs to show even more humility when it is time to march into battle. He wants to ride with his men, but they all agree it's best for him to stay back. Think about how hard this must have been for David. Not only does he need to sit on his hands while his brothers fight, he will not be able to protect Absalom from being killed. Even though David is the king, he submits to the advice of his men. This is a growing moment for David, who in the last episodes refused to take counsel. Joab and the mighty men marched against Absalom, and the tide of the battle quickly shifts in their favor. What did Absalom expect? Pride clouded his better judgment. He should have known he was no match for his father's finest warriors. The episode ends with Absalom running for his life, then getting his neck caught between two intersecting branches. It's a horrific image that gets even worse when Joab arrives. The commander of David's army doesn't spare Absalom, and we are left wondering if he made the right call. David had a tendency to show mercy when judgment may have been more appropriate, especially when it came to his sons. But is rebellion a way to squash a rebellion? Joab recognized the irony himself. This leads us to consider a few questions. Do two wrongs sometimes make a right? Do the ends sometimes justify the means? We aren't told exactly what the answers to those questions are, but we are invited to wrestle with them. Joab robbed Absalom the chance to change his ways. In Joab's words, You received your mercy, Absalom. Your father gave it twice. I will not let him give it a third time. Odds are Absalom wouldn't have truly changed, but was that Joab's call to make? We will leave the question open for now and see how Joab and David's relationship evolved in our next episode. Absalom hung from a tree, disgraced as a traitor, but David still loved him till the end. This brings us back to the prelude. Judas is the one who sold Jesus out, also hung from a tree. He betrayed him and gave him up to be killed, but Jesus loved him till the end. In John 13, we're told that Jesus washed all his disciples' feet. He served every single one of them, including Judas, who hours later sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Judas' actions did not change Jesus' love for him, just like Absalom's actions did not change David's love for him. Know this, brothers and sisters, no matter what you have done or how far you've strayed, God still loves you. Jesus' love is greater than your sin. Even in our rebellion, God still begs for us to come back to him. In our next episode, David continues to mourn the loss of his son. His tender heart is put on display, but it may be time for David to cease his tears and steady his grip. What Absalom started is not over. Join us for episode 28, The Rebellion of Sheba. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. And to expand your Heroes in the Bible journey, download the Heroes of the Faith devotional at TonyEvans.org forward slash heroes. Follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify to get the newest episodes right as they come out and always be inspired by the Bible. God bless.